Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of World of Wellness. I'm your grateful host, Megan Zucra. Happy to be here. Today we have a special guest, Christy Emanuel. And Christy is an experienced yoga teacher. She's a certified yoga therapist. And she's had over 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. And I wanted to bring Christy on the podcast today because she specializes in trauma and using yoga to help deal with trauma. And I think that a lot of people have experienced trauma and it's something that we don't talk about on a normal day-to-day basis, but it really affects our health and our nervous system. So we brought Christy on to talk about the nervous system, emotions, trauma, moving through them and how emotions are stored in our body. It's an awesome conversation. So please enjoy this episode. All right, Christy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Would you mind by starting and introducing yourself? Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Um, My name is Christy Manuel, and I am a certified yoga therapist, um, and that is kind of a new profession. Um, It actually has been around for a long time, but it's newly recognized, and certification is handed out by the International Association of Yoga Therapists. So I've been practicing yoga over 20 years and teaching for about 20. And um, I've been training teachers since 2007 with a company. Um, And then I run our yoga therapy program that is accredited by IAYT. So right now that's mostly done virtually, but we are getting working on getting back to in-person. So what does, what is the organization called again? The International Association of Yoga Therapists Okay. or IAYT. IAYT. And you run their yoga teacher training? Mm, they are the accrediting organization. Got it. And I run the yoga therapy school. I co-direct it with a friend of mine um, for Yoga Fit Healthcare, which is an, an accredited program. And so we have about... 55 students enrolled now in various cohorts that are going through our program. Okay. So tell me, tell me more about the program. Now I think you work, do you work specifically with trauma and teaching for trauma? Yes, (laughs) I do. Yeah. 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 So I've been working in the realm of trauma since about 2013 and um, it, I, I, I will venture to say that our program, so the company that I work for, that I train teachers for is called Yoga Fit Worldwide. And um, the style of our program is very trauma-informed naturally. And so it really was an easy step to take to move into a more formal trauma-informed program. So in 2013, a few of us were talking about the suicide rate uh, in the military and veterans and active duty. And um, the the director of our our Yoga for Warriors program, as it eventually uh, came to be called, is a retired Air Force um, veteran. And so she was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And so together, we put this program together to answer this need. We just knew yoga would help somehow. And so we wrote um, initially four different trainings to put this in a 100-hour training program. And now it's expanded to 140-hour, what we call Certificate of Enhanced Qualifications. It's something that's beyond your 200 hours, which is an initial level of certification or registration 
in yoga with your for yoga teachers. And um, so, so the program has, it has evolved, but again, essentially since about 2013. Cool. So what led you to teaching yoga? Cause I, I know that you have a fitness background too. You used to run a personal training business and I know that we connected cause we have the same certification. So what, yeah. tell me about that little, um, evolution for you. Okay. Gosh. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was an unplanned evolution. <laughs> if I would have thought back 20 years, if I would, that I would be doing what I'm doing, I would never have guessed it. So um, I do have a master's degree in what was called health and fitness management. And I, in college, I'd wanted to work in corporate wellness, but it wasn't a thing back in 1983 when I started my program. And so together with my advisors, I put together a master's program that was unique to me. And it was an interdisciplinary study that took place in the um, several different departments. So I was part of the MBA program, um, part of the psychology program part of the uh, general health and aging program, and then the exercise physiology and kinesiology department. So I, I went between all these departments and just wow. put together this program that lasted about a year and a half. And it was great. And then I also got a graduate teaching fellow while I was um, going to school. So I started teaching PE. And again, I have this, this interest in wellness and helping people live a healthier lifestyle. I put together a class called diet and activity, and it was focused on the inner relationships of food and exercise. And there was no, there were no classes at that time um, at the school. So I, I was able to get that class started and it was, you know, people found it really interesting. Yeah. Um, so that it just started really early on. So when I graduated, I started working in um, as an assistant fitness director in Portland, Oregon. The, I went to school at University, University of Oregon. And then when I got married, we moved to San Francisco and I ended up working as the fitness director of the San Francisco Bay Club. Um, and it was right around that time when I graduated that I got my ACSM certification and I and went forward and got my ACE, American Council on Exercise Certification. And while I was at the San Francisco Bay Club, I started, well, I didn't start it. There was a small personal training program. It was kind of new back then. It was 1986, 1987, people working one-on-one -on -one in fitness. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. And so I grew that program um, and it was just, you know, right timing. It was just, people loved it. And our trainer staff grew really large and it was a really successful program. And then I moved to LA and instead of looking for another job, I thought I could do this, have my own business. Yeah. <laughs> so I started my own personal training business in LA. I was living up, up in Hermosa Beach at the time. And so my, my lifestyle was such that um, when I was married, I moved every 18 months to two years for 20 years. And so it really got, it was easier for me to have my own business rather than have to, have to quit, keep quitting jobs and finding right. new jobs. So I would just build a business everywhere I went. And so for, for 20 some odd years, I was teaching exercise and I also competed in triathlons and I competed in marathons and half marathons and um, if someone wants to talk to me about yoga, I'd go, oh, it's for sissies, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, I'm not very flexible. <laughs> I've got what I call Viking fascia, what Tom Myers calls Viking fascia. And then I saw an interview on Oprah with Raquel Welch and, and Oprah asked her, what did she, what did she do to stay fit? And she said, all I do is yoga. And I'm just looking at her going, no way, <laughs> but that stuck in my mind. Yeah. And then when one of our moves took us to Japan, actually it was our second time to Japan living in Tokyo. And that happened to be during nine 11. 
And I had just happened to sign up for a yoga class at the American Club a couple of days after 9-11 happened. And myself and one other person showed up and it was the most peace I had felt in those two days because it's very unnerving, as you can imagine. We didn't know what was happening, especially being over in Japan. Everyone was really scared. So the, the, the emotional peace of mind that yoga gave me, it was almost like an immediate, I need more of this. And so I started practicing there. The next year when I came back, I started a certification program um, to take the training to teach yoga. And I really did a, a very fast switch. I was, when we moved back to California, I had clients and I would just ask them, would you like to try some yoga? And a lot of them tend to, no, <laughs> they're like me. It's like, no, I'm not flexible. And so I would kind of sneak it in here and there and do some breathing and slow things down, work on core. You know, it's a lot like fitness, very complimentary, obviously. And um, they enjoyed it. So I, I just transitioned my personal training practice into more of a yoga, what I call now as I look back into yoga therapy early on. So applying the tools of yoga to holistically help people. So not just with physical, but let's let's look at emotion, emotional regulation. Let's look at nutrition. Let's look at um, the mind and, you know, just the spirit. You can't take, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to avoid the spirituality aspect of it either. Right. And so really, as I look back, it was a, you know, a, a left turn into yoga and I never looked back. <laughs> I know that we have a long story, but no, it was great. It was great. And I mean, I, I've known you for years and I didn't even know the depth of that. So I'm happy to learn that. Um, and the, the, my question was that had to be an easy transition to going from, because you're already familiar with like alignment and proper mechanics coming from exercise. It's a very easy transition into yoga. Obviously there's a lot more different, complicated things that you can do, but like you have the solid foundation already. So probably made it quite easy. In that sense, absolutely. And that's yeah. also what led me into the, the teacher training yeah. avenue is because I, I did know all that alignment and I was already certified. And so that was a, it was an easy and a fun switch for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. and then a lot of, um, a lot of like warmups and stretching anyway, when you're a fitness instructor overlap with yoga. So it's maybe things weren't different when you were first doing it. Kind of thing. You know, it was so interesting because when there's a, there's a process or a practice in yoga called sun salutations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with yoga, you're moving your body weight around and, and I was in the gym and I've been, I called, I have, I called myself, yeah, I'm pretty fit. If someone were to ask, yeah, I'm fit, I'm strong, <laughs> but I couldn't do a sun salutation to save my life doing chaturanga, which is a push up, and it's a controlled push up, and then a shift into an up dog. Yeah. That was hard. It's <laughs> like, I guess I'm not as fit as I thought. So. <laughs> So yoga actually made me stronger. And what also was the kicker that I just noticed kind of slowly, I started practicing every morning. I would get up. Sometimes I would just lay on my mat. And if I didn't want to do anything, I just laid there and breathe and did some breathing. But more often than not, I would start doing a little bit of movement. And then I would, it, the practice would become longer. Well, when I did start that daily practice, I've, I shed 20 pounds, you know, it was, it was the, the weight from, that just, just hung on from having my kids. And then funny thing is I ran five marathons in a 10 year span after my kids were born and I gained weight with each marathon. Wow. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture? And so I realized looking back that 
yoga brought me back into balance where I was leading myself out of balance, trying to get more exercise, more dieting. And when I finally started listening in um, and responding to how I felt, like like laying on the mat, if I if that's all I wanted to do, then I allowed that to happen, yeah. and I brought myself into balance. So um, that was great. The concept of working out versus working in, because when we work out, you're expending energy instead of when you're working in doing these things like you know, yoga doesn't necessarily have to be doing the asanas or the postures. It could be the meditation or just breathing. Um, Yeah. Or just self-care, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so what led you into working in the trauma aspect of teaching yoga? Well, it really was that conversation, um, that we had about, you know, the, the suicides, the military. And so we, we put together this program and, um, the, the pieces that I wrote for it were, it was a program called um, healing, emotional and physical traumas. And that's how I came across Bessel van der Kolk's work, which is, you know, book that, that I know you're enjoying now, yeah. uh, the body keeps the score. Um, and, uh, wanting to help in that respect. So that, that was the, the, the trauma training. And I wrote another training that was focusing on the parasympathetic nervous system. So yoga balances are what's called our autonomic nervous system. We, we, people have heard of, you know, fight or flight, probably or fight, flight, freeze, as we now call it. And then we have our rest and digest. And, and there's another term that people may or may not be familiar with, which is called vagal tone. The, the primary um, nerve that, that, um, that is linked with the parasympathetic nervous system is called the vagus nerve. And it's, it's a very complex nerve. It starts in the brainstem and has two sides, wanders down and innervates all of our important organs. And it, and it also interfaces with our facial nerves, our, our auditory nerves, the throat, the heart, the belly, the intestines. And it sends a lot of information up to the brain. And so yoga is really great at, at activating that increasing vagal tone. And so we knew that um, with trauma, we have an, an imbalance that shifts toward that sympathetic or that fight or flight nervous system. And so these tools of yoga can help us activate the parasympathetic and bring us back into balance. Um, kind of like I was describing with myself, it, it, I didn't have PTSD, but I had, I was out of balance in other ways. And so with, with trauma, people tend to shift over into that sympathetic or vigilant state. And so there's a lot of tools, just one of the most simple tools is breathing. If we slow down our breath, um, then it, it's one of our easiest ways because we always have our breath with, with us, right? right? So if we slow it down, then we can calm ourselves in a matter of, of minutes. And then there's other tools like chanting, um, even just simple pressure on the forehead, you can pull up or pull down for kind of a calming or even do a little circular for kind of, of a calming sensation and that's activating the vagus nerve. So that training focuses on that and plays around with different postures and to see what we can do to create a calming practice. Um, and then one of the reasons for that is that a calming practice for me may not be a calming practice for you. Right. So really focusing on the individuality of um, individual of, of people. 
And then some of the other trainings in that series were Yoga Fit for Warriors, which is the title course. And that was really focusing on PTSD in the military, describing the military culture, why it's such an issue, what is PTSD. Um, and then we had a, another course on called Mood Balancing, and that's really focusing on um, different types of depression, which, which accompany PTSD many times. And so it's one of the, the symptoms. And then it has since expanded to um, add in uh, children's trauma. So, you know, why we, we found that because there are two different people might go through the same experience, one would end up with PTSD and one wouldn't. Why? And what they found in the research was it was connected to childhood trauma. Um, if a child was exposed to any kind of either single event trauma or soft trauma or just continuing trauma, maybe living in fear. A, a sad example nowadays is children going to school, being afraid they might be shot. And if you have that fear day after day, after day, after day, month after month, year after year, that affects the brain development. And that child is more likely to end up with PTSD should something happen down the road, if they don't have the skills and the tools to help mitigate that, which yoga is one of those really beautiful tools. Um, so I don't, I don't know if this is a weird question, but I think to, to kind of encompass all this, what, what, what is trauma? (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. So, so trauma really isn't a thing. It's, it's, it's our emotional response. And so it's, it's, we attach emotion to events that happen to us. An event is just an event until we attach those emotions and a meaning and that's contextual. And so, um, a trauma for me may not be a trauma for you. <laughs> and that could depend on just my perceptions, my experiences in life. Um, it could depend on what happened, how I was raised as a child. Um, if anything happened to me, there's, there's just big lists of potential things that might be traumatic for people. Um, an example recently, like with, with COVID-19 and the 2020 experience of isolation, that can create a trauma. And, it, and in fact, it did for quite a few people. And so moving forward, we see, I think, I think right after 2020, or maybe even right before, anxiety was hitting an all-time high. And you know, day after day after day of anxiety and your sympathetic nervous system activating, you, you shift and your the neuroplasticity of the brain would shift toward a negative profile would shift toward a PTSD uh, profile with stress hormones being secreted all the, you know, too much and, and with no skills to be able to bring that down and move into our parasympathetic nervous system. Um, you, it, it, you keep supporting that shift and reinforcing the trauma or the, we could also call trauma, um, an overactivation of the parasympathetic nervous system or a result of trauma right. or overactivation. So that would, that makes, that makes it interesting too, when, when you have an emotional experience, but then when like the state of any, everything is uncertain and you don't actually know what's going to happen day by day, then you are constantly yeah. in that sympathetic nervous system or yeah. 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 The, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it just makes me think about the pandemic. Like 
I remember through the pandemic, like every day waking up, knowing that like my life could be incredibly different in the next 24 hours, you know, like in that, that is very unsettling. And then just that, that, I mean, that was what a year and a half and running, not even through it almost two years, but like that continuous, what's going to happen next just puts you in a state of fight or flight. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Um, then do you think it's easy? Well, let me ask you this question first. Um, can we, we talked about trauma in the sympathetic nervous system. How does that, how do, how do we move out of that? Like, how do we start to cultivate the tools to get out of it? Do you, do you know what I'm asking? Yes, I do. Like, it is I different. I, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I know what you're asking. So <laughs> the first step yeah. is the, the awareness of what's happening. Right. And, and that can be a difficult step. And it's it, one of the examples that I bring up um, is, oh, what was the movie now? I think it's called American Sniper. Mm-hmm. And the main character, I think his name was Chris. He came home from war and he had PTSD and he was very volatile. And there was a scene in the backyard, they were having a barbecue and he sees his son and he perceives the dog his son's playing with as danger. So when you have PTSD, um, and, and it's a spectrum too. So you could have, right. you know, severe PTSD or mild. And, and so there's, there is definitely a spectrum. Um, you perceive danger everywhere where even where there, where there is not danger and people, other people perceive that as, whoa, he's crazy. Whoa, he's nuts. And so you then have these reactions of people that continue to isolate you. I'm not going to hang out with him. He's weird. He's dangerous. You know? Mm -hmm. So if you don't have someone in your life to, or, or a way to bring that awareness to you, um, you know, sometimes I think that's the hardest step. Um, and especially with veterans when they're coming home and they have PTSD, they might be medicating, um, there are, you know, there's so many ways of dealing with this. And again, it's just that awareness to be able to, okay, there's things that have to change. Awareness also brings compassion. And so not only for others, but for self, Hey, this, this has happened to me. This isn't me. Um, they tend to own, or we tend to own, I'm just a terrible person. Right. But it's not, well, something happened to me and my body changed. And one of the things that we really try to get across is these are physiological changes. These are changes at the cellular level, at the synaptic level in the brain, the nervous system, the messages are getting garbled. And so once we have that awareness of, and then the awareness of something's going on, I've got to shift something. Then we need to try to become aware of how I'm reacting in certain situations. And so some of the simplest things, again, we go back to the breath is we just teach that when we start to notice our internal state, there's, there's a term called interoception. And it's an important term in this, in this discussion, because it is the awareness of sensations and feelings in our body and to further that, how they affect our behavior. So if, if I get a sensation somewhere in my leg or my belly, um, and then I notice I'm getting, I'm getting really tense. I'm noticing changes in my body. Then I can 
oh snap, I'm going to, I'm going to do something now to help myself relax. I'm going to, I'm going to instill a breathing practice right here. I'm going to do five minutes of deeper breathing, slower breathing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the, the analogy that clicked in my brain was, um, feeling irritable in your body and rather than like acting out that irritability to be like, Oh, I'm feeling irritable. Why am I feeling like that? Where do I feel it? And what can I do to not necessarily react, but kind of, I don't know what would be to manage, I guess, to manage or, or shift rather than react. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and bringing in the body is so important because one of, one of the things that happens with PTSD is um, it, what's happening in the brain is you are, you are reliving. If you, if you, if you're triggered by something, so something that's coming up 4th of July, that triggers a lot of veterans. Right. And so um, if someone is with PTSD and here's fireworks, they might then go in their brain back to whatever event, maybe they're back in Afghanistan, they're back in Iraq, wherever they were deployed and where, where something happened. And so in their brain, it's like real time. So the, the time starts to melt away. The rational part of the brain just goes offline. So talking isn't really an option either um, because that the talking area brain starts to shut down. So when we start to notice in our body, if we can change what's going on in the tissues and, and shift that nervous system, then the brain, the, the rational part of the brain comes back online mm. and I can make more decisions. So that really the delay in reactivity is so important. And yoga, the practices of yoga give us that space for that pause to happen. Let's just explore the body. Let's get to know our body because the body becomes an enemy right. in a lot of these cases. So I want to make sure I'm understanding. So if we feel or notice that we're being triggered going into the body and becoming aware of our body turns back on the thinking brains so that we can then pull out the tools that we need to manage. It starts the process. Loss. Okay. Yeah. It starts the process. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't happen right away, um, but a lot of times you might find that if somebody that has PTSD, you know, one of the things that happens is they don't sleep very well. You know, they're still, they're on alert the whole time and they're just exhausted, but they can't sleep. And they come to your yoga class and they are sawing logs. <laughs> they are sleeping. That is a compliment because it has allowed them to feel safe. And I don't think I've mentioned that yet, but this idea of safety. Mm -hmm. Um, when someone is vigilant, you know, they're not, they don't feel safe. Everything's a threat. And so to be able to fall asleep, you've got to have a safe environment. And so once that person has let down, ah, they're sleeping, ah, they're into that rest and digest they're into that parasympathetic nervous system state. And so the more often we practice that you're actually changing then the, um, the firings, the, the, you're, you're shifting systems and you're shifting brain cells. And so, you know, it's, it's really practicing. So I love that yoga is called a practice because <laughs> you, you are practicing and changing your body and your brain as you go each day. I, and it's funny because a couple of minutes ago when you were talking, I thought about, I'm like, I wonder how neuroplasticity ties into this as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. <laughs> 
And, and so, so basically you're having to train the brain to, I don't want to say basically, I don't want to reduce it down to basic, but I'm trying, you know, <laughs> essentially, yeah, <laughs> essentially that's yeah. a better word. Um, so basically we're trying, the body is almost afraid of all threats around us. It thinks it's in danger. It's trying to protect us. So it's firing all the stress hormones 24 seven. So then we become hyper vigilant, almost aware, panicked, looking to make sure that we are going to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. So then it's a matter of training our brain to then calm the nervous system down and create a safe environment to let go of that and create new neural pathways to know that it's safe to be safe. Yes. 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 And so, and body and brain together. Yeah. Yeah. they they both have a, you know, we have a saying there's issues in our tissues. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the things about, um, so we have an emotion. So an event happens, we have an emotion and every emotion comes with a neurochemical, right. Or, or a neuropeptide. Um, and if we haven't had that emotion, then we don't know what to do with it. Our, it's like, if you've ever heard of the idea that if you don't eat meat for a long time, you lose the enzymes to metabolize meat, right? It was well, the same thing with emotions. So we have, um, we don't, we don't have the right materials to metabolize the chemical that comes with a certain emotion that if we don't have it a lot. And so this is also this, this body plasticity and neuroplasticity that the more often we have joy, for example, we're going to have more receptors for joy. The more often we have joy, and then we'll have the ability to break that down. But if we don't have the ability to break it down, it's going to get stored in the tissue. So when we're stretching through yoga, we're doing all these different moves. We might be moving to the side. We might be moving, opening the chest and people have what's, what are known as physical and emotional releases. And that is releasing the issues in the tissues. And what's really nice about it is that you don't have to talk about what you've released. You just know that you've released something. Now with something like PTSD, that's a little more serious. Um, it's usually a, a, a nice combination to have, uh, you know, a therapist that this person has seen plus body work. And a lot of mental health professionals now are adding yoga or other somatic practices to their, to their business or to their practice, because we, all the, all of this body of knowledge now is, is getting out there that somatic or body-based practices help. And, and then you, you can't just talk about it right away because of what happened, the brain shuts down. So there's no talking, but we can still work with the body. And even just as much as touching the body, ah, I feel that. What's that feel like? That's reconnecting. And another term that is called is grounding. Because again, in PTSD, if you think about it, if you're off in another time, even though it seems current, it's not very grounded. So you bring somebody back down into their body and just feel the body, feel your legs, push your feet into the ground. That can be centering and calming. Can you, that takes practice. Yeah. So can you talk more about how like trauma is stored in our tissues and our body? Like how, how is that? How, yeah. Like how does that, how does that work? I guess. Well, there's, there's not an exact mechanism that I can explain that's been shown in research. <laughs> so just, I know it's what we all want. Right. But, um, it's, uh, so imagine, um, we have, we have fascia and we have contractile tissue. And when you get tense, um, like, do you notice an area in your body that gets tense when you're under stress? Yeah. Probably shoulders. A lot of people get it in their shoulders, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and they may not even be, they may not even be aware of building muscle tension, but that's fascia that may normally look like this and it stretches and moves really nicely. And then tension happens over and over again. And it goes to go like this. It starts to get knotted. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so that, and that tension might be related to a particular emotion that's landing here in the body. Maybe it's in, maybe it's like, um, a, a responsibility of something that's we're having a hard time following through on or, or completing and responsibility a lot of times falls to the shoulders, right? There's meanings in, um, in yoga and, um, other mind body practices that are assigned to different parts of the body that are universal. So we might say, you know, a pain in the neck or a pain in the back. We, we tend to put things we don't want to look at into our back. Or the the weight of the world on our shoulders. If you're trying to hold it up, it might be tense. So there's a lot of references to that kind of thing. So um, it it can it's you can think of it simply as as muscle tension and knots. Okay. So physically, that's what it is. And emotions, because they have these um, neuropeptides that come with them those are chemicals and they affect the body. So, so the different emotions then have different hormones that are related to is, I mean, is it, is that the same thing with? Yes. Yes. So there's, there's a, and there's a great reference of the researcher that discovered this, the receptors for each emotions, her name is uh, Candace Pert. She's passed, but her book is pretty well known molecules of emotion and that explains the process. And so she found that each emotion came with, um, has various receptors and then these neuropeptides that are secreted. And we know we've shown in, in research that different emotions elicit different responses in the body. So for example, in the heart, you can see rhythm changes with anger and frustration. You can see rhythm changes with, with appreciation. So in a more positive way. And we know that like the emotions of anger and frustration will tend to um, make the heartbeat erratic. And also you'll start to secrete more of the um, stress hormones as opposed to more of the calming hormones when we're in uh, the mode of gratitude or appreciation. It's a lot. There's a lot of different fingers, right? A lot of ways you can go. It's such a broad and, and, broad subject with so much depth. It's so interesting. I, I, I truly believe that you can't separate, you can't separate the emotional, physical and your spiritual health. Like they are all, they all together. And I think our Western culture likes to separate them. Like, um, well, my spiritual practice is way different than like my physical practice, but I don't know about you, but that, let's take yoga, for example, right there. Yoga, yoga is a spiritual practice and, in, 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 you know, the, it has the, the eight limbs and like the different levels that you can go into it. Correct. Yeah. And it's, it's more, it's, it's more, just, I think probably better described as a, as a, as a lifestyle philosophy that can accompany any spiritual practice. Okay. So, or any religion. 
Um, so if that, so what the eight limbs that you're talking mm. about known as Ashtanga yoga okay. and Ashtanga means Ashta eight, Anga limb, eight mm. limbs. And the eight limbs are the Yamas and the Niyamas. And those are things like nonviolence, truthfulness, um, uh, non-stealing, non-possessiveness, contentment. These are, these are things to ponder and consider as you run into your obstacles. Am I, am I responding in a nonviolent way, even taking care of myself or how I talk to myself, I want to make sure I'm talking to myself kindly with compassion. Right. Uh, and that's, that's that concept of ahimsa. Um, so those are the, the first two limbs. And then the, the third limb is asana, which is the poses. The fourth limb, um, pranayama, which is a, the breathing practices. And then we have three, what I call stair steps to meditation. Pratyahara, which is the practices of withdrawing the senses. And a great way to describe that one is if if a mom with three or four or five kids running around, and if sometimes, and they're screaming, <laughs> and if that, she lets that, all that screaming and hairiness that's going on, take her off her center the practice of pratyahara would be to allow that screaming to be there, but then she comes into herself and is, and is centered and stays calm. So that's a big practice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like self-empowerment too, of like, of, of empowering yourself to be able to calmly move forward through any kind of adversity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you, you just, you, you let the senses, everything's still coming in. You're not, you're not shutting anything out, but you're, you're just, ah, yeah staying centered with in, in the middle of that hurricane. And then the next, which leads to then um, working to meditation. So the next step is Dharana, which is learning how to focus on one thing. And that one thing might be just the breath or the heartbeat or a word, the word peace. And then Dhyana is that third step to meditation. That's meditation itself. And that's when you can maintain a prolonged focus. And that prolonged focus could be two minutes, evolving to three minutes, eventually maybe an hour. So that takes practice. And then that, that um, eighth limb is samadhi or bliss. And that's just moments of joy. And I, and I like to say some, sometimes you'll find people that say, oh, you can't find samadhi until you die. I don't believe that. And I, and I, like, I, I think back to, and sometimes this is, evident when I'm running, for example, well, when I used to run, don't run anymore, <laughs> when I used to run and I'd be around on the beach and there's dolphins and I, I just like, all of a sudden I just feel connected and it might last for just a moment, but that's a samadhi. Yeah. And I, I had that on my, I had moments like that on my mat. And that's, you know, when I feel connected or when I'm doing my Dharma, my purpose, when I'm teaching yoga, I feel connected. So those are my, my little moments of samadhi. So I wish those for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> At least yes. one a day. <laughs> well, and that's so interesting. In, in, if we're, it's just so interesting taking that into the physical practice, right? Like, like it just how how having a physical discipline, whether it's yoga, whether it's running, whether it's exercising, whether it's walking, whether it's tai chi, having that physical discipline can also help with your spiritual evolution. Oh yeah. 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 I think it, and I, I liked how you used empowering, right? I, I think sometimes, um, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to, 
um, what's the word? Um, I don't want to show disrespect to any religion um, by saying this, but sometimes religions can be disempowering. And I think these practices of yoga are so empowering. And like, and this is my belief. Um, I am connected to God always. And it's within me, around me. I'm never disconnected. And I, I look at God and the universe and this universal energy and my higher power like the ocean. And God is the ocean. And then waves come up. And each wave is individual and unique. And then it comes back down. And it's all, all part of the same. So it comes up for a moment and then it goes back down. But it's never separate. And so I view all of us as waves with God being the ocean that we're just, we're all connected all the time. We're all loved. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, all the time. I'm, I'm very curious what, how you would almost explain this because I like the, I, I feel like it's part of my purpose to bridge this gap of like spirituality and science and I can tell that's what you're doing too, by like mm-hmm. having such a strong root with the, the, the vagal tone and what's happening with the nervous system. So I'm curious, do you have a way that you would explain more than what we've already talked about how they overlap? The, the spirituality and science? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a I know. I know. I just, <laughs> yeah. threw, I just threw the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to catch it. <laughs> it's really heavy oh my gosh yeah it's it's so big and so it's just oh my gosh so there is a class that I wrote um called expanding consciousness and it's one of my most favorite to teach and it addresses just this subject it's science and spirituality and a lot of times especially in and that this yoga fit, the school that I, that I work for started out as known as kind of fitness yoga, but it expanded and it, we teach, we teach the eight limbs and, you know, we teach everything there is to know about yoga. Um, but we tend to bring it to the West and we talk, don't, we don't talk in Sanskrit right away. You know, we layer all that information in, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of times, especially early on, when we wouldn't say the word God, like, or we not talk about religion, and we emphasize, you know, yoga is a life philosophy, and that's what it is in India too. It's 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 part of the spirituality, but it's not. Um, it, it is more of a lifestyle. We're living the yoga lifestyle. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and you can still you can still practice yoga, but and also still practice a religion because it's oh, not absolutely. Religion. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that's a misconception that it's a religion. Right. Um, yeah, but, but, but yeah, it is, it's, it's a lesson. It can pair with any religion or any spiritual practice. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure where to go with this. No, that's okay. That was it's like so a huge, big. very broad question. I just kind of yeah. wanted to. Yeah. You know, but I, I will say, um, and let me bring this to research because um, there's, there's several programs. So Dr. Dean Ornish, um, has a program that he has that reverses heart disease. Right. And part of his program, his pillared program is, um, 
this social aspect. It's and part of its yoga, part of its exercise, part of its meditation, um, eating eating uh, correctly. You know, have really really healthy foods. And he's been shown to reverse heart disease. He tells a really funny story of a patient that um, came to see him, and his doctor gave him you know not very long to live because he had so much going on in his in his heart and cardiovascular system, um, and he went through Dean Orange's program, completely reversed his heart disease, and he outlived his original doctor that sent him. His doctor died. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we know that. But spirituality in a lot of these programs is really important, like having a sense of purpose. And that's one way, I guess, to define spirituality is having a higher power, whatever that higher power is, and a sense of purpose on this earth whether, you know, whatever that is, whether it's helping others, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's really important. So I think to disregard that is a disservice to people. And I know that, you know, our medical system doesn't address it because they, it, it really can't the way the system has evolved. Right. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't put blame on doctors they're, but they're not going to talk to you about spirituality because it's not in their realm. Right. Um, and they can't, frankly. Um, but it's a system. It's not the doctors. you know. But I think more and more doctors are starting to realize this the model of the biopsychosocial model. We can't just look at the biology. We can't just look at the body. We have to look at social. Social is so important. And then psychological. What's going on emotion-wise? Are, are we... Are we allowing ourselves to express emotion? Are, are, we, are we living in anger? We know that affects the heart. We know that affects length of life. Right. Um, and spirituality, we, we can't ignore it. And so in yoga therapy, we don't. We do definitely discuss spirituality, whatever that person's spiritual preferences are. We help them move toward that. There's a lot of research that talks about um, having a sense of purpose is related to being healthier and happier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you read, um, I don't, this is what the, Sean Aker's book, the 10% happier is coming to mind. Not 10, but that's, that's um, Sean Aker's is the happiness advantage. I think well, I have not read that one. Okay. Yeah. I think it's um, uh, Dan Harris has the 10% happier. That's, yeah. 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 That sounds right. Um, which he might talk about that one. It's been a while since I've read that one, but I know in the happiness advantage, he talks about that, the sense of purpose and also gratitude practice, but that also makes me think of, um, Mihai Chingsen Mihai. Have you read the flow book by him? I think a long time ago, it's just called flow, right? Yeah. White cover, blue writing. Yeah. I think um, I, read, I think I think I read it a long time ago. Yeah. It, but it, it's the, it's the psychology of happiness. And in, in, in being in the moment, in the flow, and when people are just like doing whatever they want to do. And I think, I think purpose is such a big thing. I mean, I agree. And especially that's how we move through adversity, right? Like if, in, in, in it's, if you don't have a purpose and you're like, well, why, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I think it takes, um, I think it takes, I one awareness, but two the courage and vulnerability to explore what you think that your purpose is, or to like have the exploration to find what it is if you don't feel that you have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes our purpose, you know, I, I just got back from a workshop, <laughs> which um, Anita Morjani was one of the speakers and she wrote a book called dying to be me. I think that's the title of it. And she, she died in a hospital and then it was in, it was in a coma, then died, had this near death experience that is just amazing. Um, she had cancer, cancer through her body and she was given less rights. Um, and she had this experience where she met her father. She met her best friend who had died of cancer previously. And, um, she now talks about her experience because she woke up, they, you know, they, they, she was given a choice to come back or not, um, encouraged by her father to come back and live your life fearlessly. And she's like, well, you know, because it was so nice on the other side, she's like, I don't want to go back, but, um, and, the, and this body, you know, is, is failing me. What do, I, what do I have to go back to? And they promised her that she would heal. And so the really cool thing about this is she was in the hospital and after about two or three weeks, she, all her tumors disappeared. So it's all documented. Wow. And she still gets a lot of hate <laughs> from people that, you know, they want scientific evidence, but, but here she is, right? <laughs> right. She is and, and there she was. Um, but she talks about the sense of purpose and that just, you know, being happy and, you know, sometimes that's just your sense of purpose. When you're happy, you're affecting the universe in a special way. And so the more, the happier we are, the more compassionate we are towards others. And really, I, I always call the secret of life is compassion. And that's what we're moving towards all the time. We need to be more compassionate and understanding and forgiving um, in, in, in my view. But she had just, you know, wonderful things to say. She has a Ted talk that people can look up if they're interested. That's really fabulous. Cool. I'll put it in the, uh, in the notes here. So my, um, well, I kind of have two more questions here. Okay. One, what would be the, I mean, aside from the obvious, the, What is the harm if we don't start to acknowledge our emotions? And go ahead. Well, we'll start. Okay. I think I think really quite simply, health our health. Yeah. Um, because it, it we we do show that if we have if we stuff emotions down, we are affecting different parts of our body. So that's that you know the issues in the tissues and the organs. Yeah. <laughs> so you know it 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 it. it, it they, they have shown that connection, um, with emotions and health. Yeah. And so I think it's really important that we connect in and acknowledge it and not just, you know, acknowledge the dark feelings because we all have it, right. We all have those dark. So it's not that because I'm practicing yoga, I'm happy all the time. (laughs) Of course not. You know, I'm sad sometimes I'm angry sometimes. Um, but I think what was I was with yoga, it's the awareness of like, okay, I'm gonna be angry right now. <laughs> and and then I laugh, right? <laughs> it's hard to be angry when you're laughing. So that's one, there's a tool right there. There's a thing called laughter yoga. <laughs> well, but yeah, I think I think just acknowledging. Awesome. I I just think acknowledging emotions and allowing ourselves to be sad. If you're sad, be sad. Own it. And then when you're done with that, then move forward or, you know, take care of, is there something that you need to take care of to help you move into more of a positive emotion? 
but it's, it's not, it's not a bypass, right? We don't want to say, Oh, I'm just happy all the time. I, I'm not going to be sad. I'm going to be happy because that's also how we can stuff emotions down, pretending that we're happy when we're not. Yeah. So acknowledging, feeling the emotions that we're feeling, moving through them, however long it takes. Mm -hmm. um, Do you think that there is, is there like an average amount of time that it takes to feel emotion when we allow ourselves to feel it? Gosh, I've never, I've never seen anything science-wise that says, you know, it takes 15 minutes to move right. through. <laughs> um, I, I think it really depends on what it is. Yeah. Um, so like grief, you know, they talk about grief a lot in, you know, it, t- it can take years to move through and there's stages of grief. So I think it probably depends on the emotions. We do tend to hold on to the negative more so than the positive. It's easier. We could have 15 great things that happened to us and remember the one negative thing that did. And that's really for survival. Yeah. We are, we stick, the, the the negative stuff does stick and that is for a survival. It's to keep us from getting hurt. And that's, even in the trauma realm, we look at, um, you know, a way to move to gratitude for the body for protecting me for so long, right? Because there's yeah. a point when, you're just not ready to deal with whatever is being held in. And so the body will withhold things from you until the body is ready. And we, we pick up things with our heart. I know we haven't talked about this part yet, but our heart has an electromagnetic field that's huge. And the more we access appreciation and gratitude, the bigger it gets. And you and I, when we talk, our hearts are talking before we ever say a word. And that's when you walk into a room and you just immediately like, oh, these are my people. Yeah. <laughs> it's because our hearts are, are communicating yeah. and we're, we're, we're resonating with one another. But if you've ever walked into a room and you get that feeling of, ooh, something's off here, but you don't know what it is. That means there's something in there, someone, something, a situation that you're not resonating with that might even be um, cueing you into some danger. And so that is for our survival. So it's learning to recognize those signals as well and learning to trust our own intuition, which, you know, we're taught to set things aside like, oh no, you're just imagining that. But if we can really tap into that inner wisdom and use our intuition, it's it's really helpful. I'm curious in this, this, there's a question and a curiosity and a statement in here. Um, I'm curious as to can our brains trick us into telling us that there's going to be danger. This is the importance of getting into our body and being quiet and working in meditation, because if we don't know how to listen to our body internally, we brains can trick our energetic field into saying that there's something wrong all the time. Is that correct? Yeah. And that's kind of what's happening is it's brain over body when we we want it to be body over brain, right? So yeah, we, we listen to our brain, but it's not always right. Our heart is always right. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's what we got to figure out is which is, and sometimes it's really hard to tell, is that my heart or my brain? But if you go with your initial that's the heart because the heart doesn't have to have this discussion. The brain has this discussion and all these thoughts, but, 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 right. (laughs) So that's one way to look 
to look at it and, and analyze, but it's really, so it's learning to turn off the brain. And that's what we do in meditation. We're moving into the heart and we're connecting. It's the heart. And we, we, through breath work, we, we go into what's called a state of coherence where our heart and our brain are in harmony. Mm. And if we can move into breath work with gratitude and appreciation, that's our fastest way. So just slowing down the breath, think of something that brings you gratitude or somebody, if you have a child or a grandchild or a pet that you have unconditional love for, go with that feeling that gets you into coherence the fastest. And then we start communicating with the world through our heart, going in to connect. And that's a whole concept that um, Thoreau writes about. Um, you know, a lot of our early philosophers <clears throat> and great writers did the same thing and they write about that. It wasn't, of... Go ahead. I was going to say that they, they weren't able to connect with others in the world until they went in. Right. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I really like what you said earlier about um, even when that, if that feels hard and you feel like you're guarded to be grateful for that guardedness that your body has gone you to keep you protected. I think that's great. Yeah. And I think that these older concepts and they even kind of talk about a little bit in the book, thinking grow rich that was written in 1920 of that, like energy universal law kind of thing of I like how these things are kind of coming back to surface and I feel like being talked about a lot more and that's also what I like doing is talking about it because it's so important I think it's really important to tap into our own our energy but also be able to feel like you know you're saying our for our hearts to connect and have the conversation and I feel like that's what we need a lot more of these days Oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and and that's, I think, um, where the, the overall, I don't want to use the word collective, but I'm going to use that word, but just like the state of fear that we are in because of the collective trauma that we've gone through with the pandemic, also like a war going on and the economy going up, like everybody's in a state of flight or flight. So that's like, we're doing this kind of work is so much more valuable and important and needed. Yeah. And, and it, and everything that each of us does individually matters. Yeah. So if we, if we spend just five minutes focusing on love and gratitude, that does make a difference out in the world, you know? So, so I would just encourage people to find those moments because it all matters. It contributes to that collective, right? That collective field. And going into a space of gratitude doesn't necessarily mean that you're ignoring the troubles and that you're going through or that the world is going Correct. through. It's just recentering to having more clear space to work from as you navigate the money waters. Yeah. Yeah. That's really well said. And, and I think just, I know for myself, I had to cut back like on social media yeah, because it, it it would start to trigger me and I'd start to engage. Like, I don't want to engage in that. I don't want to engage in that. And I, and I, and I did a couple of times and I, and it's like, Oh, this is not working for me. It changed my energy. So really it's not, doesn't mean we are ignoring things and where there's things that need to be done, like activism um, or support, you know, what do we need to do to change things? Um, we're not ignoring all that, but it's how we're choosing to, 
think about it and spend our energy using it for constructive purposes and positive purposes, not tearing people down, but helping to build people up. Well, in, in the problem, when we get into wanting to have those constructive conversations is that it's not all coming from a heart space. It's all coming from the brain space. Yeah. 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 And one of, one of the things that we can think about is, and and this is hard to do, I think nowadays, but you know, if if we can sit down with people and figure out what we all agree on and let's start there. (laughs) And, and then also realize that, you know, we might think differently about things and that's okay too. Yeah. And so, um, you know, moving forward through conflict is, is definitely a challenge, but we can do it with love. And we can t- learn to tolerate different viewpoints. It's hard because you get emotional from it. Oh, I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially right now. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's work. It's work yeah. to keep that center. center. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. But I, and it, I, again, that requires like removing the ego to, for us all to be able to go, okay, well, we don't agree on this. Let's be okay with that, but let's work without trying to prove our points to each other. Let's try to find one thing that we do agree on and kind of create yeah. that circle from there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause we don't have to agree on everything right. and I don't need to bring everybody over to my point of view or you can right. have your point of view. You yeah. know, that's, that's the way it works. <laughs> well, and so. but that's also how like we have evolved as a society and a culture is having different points of view and finding the best case scenario to grow from. Like, yeah, we don't all have the same point of view for a reason and we've yeah. all had different experiences so that we're not going to have the same point of view. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I always think back to there's that political couple that is married and they were each political advisors years ago for Democrat and Republican. And they were, you know, on TV, they're uh, talking heads. They were completely opposite. But then you find out they're married and you're like, wow, <laughs> wow, that's that's such a good example. I think it was James Carville and I can't remember what her name was, but um, I would just I always love that. I'd like to see more of that. <laughs> well, and again, doing things like what we're talking about and being people open to having those conversations holds a space for other people to let their guard down and engage in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Holding, holding that space. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Holding that space for whatever it is to be there and, and, and be non-judgmental. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> easier said than done. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, but again, yeah. it comes back to the practice of yoga, right? It does. It does. And, and can I add, I was just thinking, we had, we haven't talked about this, like what makes a trauma sensitive class is yeah. kind of what we're talking about here is being able to hold that space for whatever, it, whatever arises, whether it be emotions in people or, um, you know, we know that people are going to have releases And when I teach a class and when we teach trauma sensitive class, it's really about giving people choices. So when I teach a class nowadays, I don't do any hands-on corrections and I don't even do a lot of verbal corrections. I'll give the verbal cues and I'll give a few pointers. um, But I really want to encourage an environment of people able to explore their bodies and move in different ways. And if, if it feels uncomfortable, 
then I'd like them to make the choice to move out of that discomfort themselves. And it's more powerful for them to figure that out, whether it takes, you know, five times, 10 times, one time, it doesn't really matter. They're on that journey. You know, if I see something flagrantly dangerous and they're going to, you know, really hurt themselves and obviously they'll say something, but that doesn't usually happen. Right. And our bodies are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for, I think, sometimes. And the body's got to learn. It has to learn. Body's got to learn. Yeah. And so just creating that really safe space where, you know, I love to see people. I just taught a class this morning and, and so we're in downward facing dog and I was like, you know, and you can always come in a child's pose if that's your preference right now. And I love to see people coming down in a child's and some people staying up in, in downward facing dog. And it just, it's like, oh my gosh, they're honoring themselves. That's, that just is such a compliment to me. Yeah. It's a compliment that, that I've created this space that they feel okay to do that. Yeah. So that's really what trauma informed is. And, and just allowing people to be wherever they are in the practice. So that's, it, it, that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. Wow. This is so fun. This is good. It is fun. Yeah. I love talking with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I was like, this will be a great podcast episode because we can just shout out the phone like this too. Um, all right. Is there, is there anything else that you want to kind of throw in here right now? Um, gosh, no, we've talked about so much, so much. <laughs> I think this will be a good place to uh, wrap up our conversation and we okay. can probably do this again. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. Yeah. Um, and I would think, I guess I would, the one thing I would say is just encourage people to try yoga. Sometimes it's not what they think. And if you go to a class that um, you're not like, try a different one. Yeah. You know, try a different one. There's, there's yeah. all kinds of teachers out there. And so you'll find what resonates life with you. That's mm-hmm. like listening to your heart space, finding out what resonates with you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah. Is there any resources? I know you're on LinkedIn, um, but what else, where else can people learn more about you and what you do? Um, well, I'm on Facebook. Okay. Um, I guess I'll have you put the link in because I don't even know what yeah, it's I my name, Christy Manuel. <laughs> and then I am on Instagram and I have a new one because I got hacked. <laughs> I wasn't able to get my old account back. So <laughs> my new account is Christy's Yoga underscore inspiration. Well, we will get in there too. Okay. Yeah. I have a website too. And I I do retreats and things. If anybody wants to spend five to seven days with me (laughs) exploring some of these topics, that's that's what we do. (laughs) We'll link everything in there. And thank you for your time today, Christy. Oh, thank you. This was really fun. All right, team. Thanks so much for joining in today. If you want to learn more about Christy, you can head to the podcast show notes and there's her website, Instagram, Facebook, so that you can get a hold of her. And we will see you next week or uh, get fit, feel good, have fun. Woo.